A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So you're thinking I'm part of the problem here? <laughs> I don't agree with that at all. I support. I will support a good movie. A good movie that has a Spider-Man. Yes, I will. Yes, I will support a good movie that has. But a you Spider-Man. cannot bring yourself to go see Paul Thomas Anderson's sensitively constructed, <sighs> beautiful little indie like romance. Oh man. I mean, it does have this problematic no, age gap no. thing going on in it. So there's a whole like discourse I, around. I it. like Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson's movies. I think he's a great filmmaker. I'm just not in the mood. I, I no, I'm just not in the mood. He's for not web slinging though. <laughs> I want to see something light. I want to see something that is escapist. And I don't he really want to shoot those webs. Yeah, exactly. If he shoots some webs, then go oh, I mean, back if this was a coming of age tale <laughs> with a young woman shooting webs, uh-huh. I'm there. <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson, Spider-Gwen. Oh, yeah. I'm totally yeah, down yeah. for that, but that's not what's happening oh, in God. that movie. So, yeah, I'm going to have to pass. Sorry, PTA. Love There Will Be Blood. Love The Master. Ugh. You know what? I saw The Master it's a beautiful in theaters, movie. so I think that gives me a reprieve. <laughs> it gives me a hall pass to not see this movie. That gives theater. you a lifetime pass. It just does. that you supported the I master. I supported the master when no one else did, man, <laughs> mm-hmm. in the theater. Yeah, I saw that one in theaters, too, bro. Whatever. Whatever. What was the name of that movie he did with Owen Wilson? Uh, it's the adaptation of the Thomas Pynchon novel. Oh, um, Inherent Vice. Inherent Vice. Owen yeah. Wilson's in it for like 30 seconds. That's why I was so confused. I know, because yeah, it was like yeah. he's in. I thought he was like in the movie, but he's not. No, he's in like one scene and he's not even lit. Nope. Like he's standing in darkness yep. and whispering. Mm-hmm. It's like he so wanted strange. to be incognito so in the weird. movie. 
Yeah, it's very yeah. odd. Because most of that movie is Joaquin Phoenix, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right. That's it was right. supposed to be Robert Downey Jr. And wow. he dropped out. And I wonder about that. Hmm. Could have been a great return to form performance from RDJ being sure. like a scruffy stoner weirdo, you know, detective. Yeah. But I don't know. Joaquin was awesome. Of course. I don't know. I think about that. I'm like, with Downey Jr., it just would have had that charisma, you know, that mm-hmm. sneaky lovability to mm-hmm. it. Whereas I feel like Joaquin is so prickly and impenetrable mm-hmm. and an amazing actor for so many things. But I don't know. Maybe it kind of keeps that movie from really, like, hitting for me the way it should. That's interesting. I, I yeah, I would say so. Like, I don't think Joaquin Phoenix carries with him a sort of charming but down-on-his-luck type vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. RDJ definitely does. Even someone like... Elliot Gould in The Long Goodbye, where it's mm-hmm. this incredibly slow, strange Altman deconstruction of a film noir. But you still got Elliot Gould, who is so charming and handsome and mm-hmm. just feels like a movie star, even when he's puttering around, ashing his cigarette on his cats or whatever, you know? <laughs> you feel like you're watching a real movie, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whereas Joaquin, it's like, oh, this is some bizarre inside joke puzzle box <laughs> that I'm not actually being led into, <laughs> you know? It's true. But still, good movie. I'm not part of the problem, though. <laughs> I take that back. <laughs> I'm not... You are part of the problem. I'm not part of the problem. <laughs> Not at all. Because Dude, no, 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 no. You're not just no, supporting no. Marvel. You're also supporting Sony, which... Oh, get out it, of here, man. I cannot believe... No, no, okay. Go watch any Sony movie, and you get 10 trailers for absolute bullshit ahead of it. Sony's like, oh, you want to see what else we got coming down the pipe? Look at this. You know what? Look at these you know ramshackle no, 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 animated no, no, no. movies no. and horrible no. rom-coms we got coming out. Mm-mm. Have you seen Mm-mm. Have you seen the trailer for uh, Marry Me? No. Oh, that's, my God. That, that's just not even in my wheelhouse, it, man. Dude, no. well, it's because it played ahead of Licorice Pizza. That's why. Because it's a fucking Sony oh. joint, too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marry Me is about... Uh, Jennifer Lopez is this pop star diva on top of the world dating this other like super hot pop star and then in the middle of her about to propose to him on live television she decides not to because she just learned that he's having an affair and instead she picks out random white dude from the audience no. Owen Wilson <laughs> no. who doesn't oh, look like no. he even okay. knows what mm-hmm. movie he's in and she's like no. hey why no. don't you marry me instead and they get married and then they nope, start you want to know something do you want to know something yeah. do you want to know why yeah. i'm not part of the problem <laughs> the reason why i'm not part of the problem is because you saw ghostbusters afterlife oh, in the theater fuck. oh he's calling out me out here. okay okay get out of here so mm-hmm. i no 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 no. this was a shameless cash grab with none of the charm yeah, yeah. of the original ghostbusters right. or even even as funny oh. as the reboot that came out a couple of years Ooh. back and Ooh. it was written was and directed by funny? one jason oh reitman i found it slightly charming okay. Okay. i did like it and yes uh, yeah, all four of those women, I can't name all of them, but yeah, <laughs> Leslie Jones, Kate McKinnon, no, yeah, Leslie Jones, Kate McKinnon, yeah. Melissa McCarthy, gosh, well, K- and Kristen Wiig, Kristen Wiig yeah, and yeah, Melissa, yeah, yeah Kristen Wiig, yeah. yeah, all hilarious. Oh, I liked all of them a lot. I No, 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 don't try to, no, 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 don't try to change uh-huh. it. You saw Ghostbusters Afterlife, there was nothing compelling okay. about that movie okay, from okay, the trailers, okay. okay, and directed by Jason Reitman, 
who I would <laughs> rather I would rather he, I would rather swallow a glass of my own spit than see a Jason Reitman movie. He just wants to make Young Adult too, man. Just let him let him collect uh, that check so he can go make Young Adult too. He can make some man. more prickly indie dramas. I have uh, to defend myself. I have to. This is no, this you is don't. No, there's no defense assassination. Here. So I have something <laughs> called a regal pass, which allows me to go see any movie. Oh, don't in try to blame it. Oh, don't try free. to blame it on regal. And no, 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 no. Josh is like. I'm angry oh, about Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> we got to go see this because I want to be mad at it. And so I was like, Lies. really? Is this what you want to do with your afternoon, Josh? You're not going to have a good time. And he was like, nope, we're fucking going. And I'm like, oh, all right. And so we went and he was he was angry. He was angry. I watched it and I was mm, like, mm-hmm. this is a totally mediocre cash grab but it's fine i i was like i can't get worked up about this movie at all except that it um it has carrie coon in it and it totally wastes her and it wastes her time which is i love carrie coon that is a a offense that should be punished that is a sin yeah maiming of some kind i agree yeah you should get your ankles broken (laughs) for wasting carrie coon's time (laughs) so uh yeah that's not a good defense i hear the defense but i don't accept Uh, it that's uh, just garbage if you're gonna my hands were tied yeah oh my god yes you were had a gun to your head and you were told that you had to go see (laughs) ghostbusters afterlife otherwise (laughs) yeah get out of here under pain of death you had to see ghostbusters afterlife such lies Are we doing this? Oh, man. No, actually, I'm out. Oh. I'm out, bro. <laughs> I refuse. I'm going on strike, dude. No podcast I'm today, you guys. This podcast. Yeah. No podcast yeah, today. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, we really should. Oh, boy. Oh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. We are so happy to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual television shows of all time, their most memorable episodes. And their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is my co-host. He is part of the problem, Mr. Alex Sinesi. I'm present at this recording in protest right now. I want you to know. I'm here in abstentia, all right? Oh, my God. Just get out of here. (laughs) I need to call my union rep. Yeah, oh, please do. Oh, please do. Lord of the screens over here. Oh, wait. I just need to open another Zoom window and talk to Phil again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh shit oh my this god this is a problem <laughs> so i mean i thought part of what we might do this is a little bit um off the beaten path but it's just simply kind of yeah, do yeah. a little bit of a retrospective on the first 12 episodes of lost like what have we what are you thinking having seen the first half of the first season oh it's funny it's actually kind of stayed consistent in my mind with my original feeling about the show which Mm -hmm. is that i always had uh my moments of both elation and frustration with it Mm -hmm. and watching it again in this sort of condensed form that we're doing really has only highlighted how the successful and less successful episodes just butt up against each other constantly. And I'm kind of waiting for this season to like get itself a rhythm. Yeah. And I feel like it's still, I'm still waiting, you know, I'm still waiting and it's still kind of stuttering, stopping and starting. I know that there was a point where 
I was just so into season one and I was right. really binging the latter half of it. And so I wonder I wonder if as we get close to the finale, it'll really get itself a flow. Okay. I mean, that's interesting. I didn't realize upon first watch how much sputtering and how much start stop there was and how much inconsistency there was um, given some of the plot points, particularly around Claire's kidnapping. There's a lot there that to me, doesn't really quite make sense. Um, feels like the pacing is a little bit off. And then feels like even some of the character performances and the focus of the show seems a little bit off to me. And I don't know if that's because, again, like they released some of the episodes out of order. I think we talked about that last time. But there's definitely like, like I was watching, yeah, the episodes that we're going to be talking about today and thought to myself, yeah, no one really seems weirded out or really concerned that a pregnant woman was abducted and is now like vanished. She's dead, presumably dead. Um, everyone seems to be going about their own business. And I thought that was really strange. It's so strange. Yeah, yeah. The Claire storyline, really. It's so funny because the episode where Ethan confronts her and then the next where she's kidnapped, you really feel the show starting to kick into high gear. Mm-hmm. And then it immediately just kind of drops the ball. Drops on the ball, it's, man. This is such an ambitious show, mm-hmm. and I think the ambitions of it just continue to expand across the other seasons, but I don't yet feel, I guess, maybe like Lindelof's confidence in his own storytelling mm-hmm. coming to the fore. Mm-hmm. I wonder if as the season goes on and he sort of gets a clearer picture of the end game for this season, that's where that, that starts to come in. Because I think of something like... The Leftovers or Watchmen. Watchmen. And those yeah. shows are really confident. They know where they're going right from the beginning. Yes. He knows, okay, I can expand these ideas out and I have enough material to chew on and I can really like knock it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it too is probably just that brutal fucking schedule. Yeah, yeah. It's such a good example of how this was a show that should not have been 24 episodes a season. No, you know? no. And that's what I think of most... If we could carve away half the episodes of this season, would we be left with a great I think so. network half season? I think potentially we would. I yeah. think Lost, had it been three seasons of 12 episodes apiece, I think it possibly could have been one of the greatest ever. I, 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 this, I still think, yeah, Lost is one of the greatest ever shows just because of the ambition and the spectacle. But I think, and the like, cast, and the cast and is so, so great. Yes, absolutely. Right now, we're kind of tussling with is this really a goat season or is this just one of the most influential seasons? I think it, I say it is you know? a little bit of both. I say it's a little, a bit, little of bit of both. I think yeah. it's definitely influential just due to like the number of um, mm. copycats. And then I, I, it brought so many unknown actors to the forefront um people that i would not have known before or had uh, hadn't seen before and then just brought them to the front and made stars out of them so yeah made them everyday household names yeah yeah so okay so i have a question for you this What's is uh a, a, a bit more of like a, a petty piece of business but uh-huh. i am curious how it, it works for you go for so it. something else i've been struck by is um i have Hulu, where I watch Lost, as part of a bundle with Spotify. Mm -hmm. It's a really great deal. I get both of them for just like 10 bucks a month, and Spotify is ad-free, but Hulu has ads. Mm -hmm. So anytime I'm watching Lost, I have like these 30-second ad breaks where an act-out 
happens in the show. And, you know, maybe for some of our younger viewers who might not be accustomed to this anymore, ad breaks used to be like multi-minute, four or five minutes or five long. Minutes. Yep. So you really had these sort of morphine drips of story separated by ads that sometimes were just as long. Yep. And it really changes the rhythm of the show. In a way, I'm glad that I'm watching it with ads because it preserves a bit of the feeling mm. of having watched it live. Mm -hmm. And the show is so clearly like written yes. to those act breaks. I you know, see it's what so you're saying. Yes, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. These little mini cliffhangers, these jolts, these moments. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's such a different mode of storytelling than we're used to these days. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, that, wow. I hadn't considered that at all. And I think the way in which you're talking about ad breaks makes me think about uh, the use of laugh tracks in comedies. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, right? Like, it's that sort of thing. This is used to emphasize the story. And yeah, you're right. That show really is written around act breaks and cliffhangers throughout episodes and between episodes as a way to keep, you know, audiences engaged. And so I'm watching it on Hulu as well, yeah. but I don't have commercials. Interesting. So anything that feels like a cliffhanger... <laughs> or should feel like a cliffhanger is yeah. not a cliffhanger for me at all right, right. it right. just move on to the next uh the next scene and i imagine it it works kind of seamlessly like that too because there's so many times you jump out to a flashback which feels like a switch of acts even though it oftentimes would happen within it wouldn't happen across a commercial break it would happen mm -hmm. in the middle of the show you already have the story being sort of chopped up with another story i wonder you know how our perceptions of it change because of that change man yeah. that's so interesting i definitely look at it and like man there's a whole art to this there's a whole mode of storytelling that's just inherently different here mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah you're absolutely right man so let's see, the episodes today that we've been talking about are episodes 13 and 14, which are Hearts and Minds, and what is the name of the other one? Special. Special, special. thank you, that's right. Special. <laughs> it's a yeah. very special episode. Oh, man. What a terrible word for that, too. It's like, <laughs> right. oh, he's special, you know? That's, I know. Like we, we couldn't go back for another draft of that one. Yeah, like, yeah, that just doesn't have the right connotation. I don't no. think that's exactly what they were going for. Yeah. <sighs> Boy. All right, so Hearts and Minds, there's a lot to take apart here. Hearts and Minds is special. It really is. <laughs> uh, Hearts and Minds is an episode of Lost oh, no. that is brought to you by and sponsored by Pornhub. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's your own personal stepsister fantasy delivered across a 45-minute episode of Network that TV. That is exactly what this is. Uh -huh. Terrible. Anyway, so Hearts and Minds, it focuses on Boone Carlisle and Shannon Rutherford. Kate learns that Son speaks English. Jack becomes suspicious of Locke. And Hurley asks for a golden shower. Again, brought to you by Pornhub. <laughs> So when Shannon begins spending time with Saeed, an oddly jealous Boone begins guarding her like, like a watchdog. Like, it's it's really creepy. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. It, it gave me the heebie-jeebies as I was watching the episode. A, a question about that real quick. Yeah. Do you what? think they are playing up the racial tension of that or letting him off the hook? Because oh. in his flashback, it's she has this history of abusive boyfriends, and so right. he's super protective. But in the right. moment on the island, it just seems it like could he's be a racist. He's a racist, right? Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I think they're flirting with both. I think they're flirting with both. Yeah, that's a good point. I I took it more to be more about like the abusive boyfriend thing. 
Right. Yeah. Right. But I, I could it see lets it. him off the hook. Right. It does. The other side of it. You know, you're yeah. right. Damn. Mm. Yeah. But you make a good point there. Mm. Boom. Oh, no. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Anyway. All right. What are you doing? <laughs> I know. He, all of the wrong things, right? <laughs> so, right. Okay. So, all right. So he starts, he's guarding Shannon and he even goes as far as to threaten Saeed. And we have yeah. already established that Saeed is the most dangerous, beautiful man on the island, right? Oh, boy. He is. I, there's some Saeed thirst going on here. Phil's got a crush. He is I as, love it. I, he is as dangerous as he is beautiful. It's true. So, yeah. And it's just weird to see him even threaten the guy. Yeah. And you're like, okay, dude. Um, so, yeah. So I mean, come on. He's this sexy Indian man who can yes. take you apart as yes. a professional torturer. And he has the hair of Duncan McCloud. Like, he come on. really does. Uh, it's am- And this beautiful accent. So, all right. He's threatening Saeed. It doesn't go over well. He and Locke continue their uh, excavation of the mysterious hatch that's out in the jungle <laughs> in one of the most underratedly funny moments in Lost is when Boone says that Shannon is smart and that she is special and Locke shrugs it off with the most quiet like sort of patient understated dismissal he just sort of shrugs and then goes okay whatever and then continues to walk through the jungle that's what you think interesting that's what you exactly oh dude when i saw that i paused and i laughed out loud because that was just unintentional funny lock yeah i love that moment so good no he's so good in that moment He's incredible in both of these episodes. <laughs> he so might be good. the MVP of these two I episodes. I think you're right. Which is not good because he is not a focal character <laughs> of either one. It's so funny. Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, he decides that he's going to teach Boone a lesson uh, about simping uh, because he drugs Boone and then just leaves him in the jungle, which leads us to our flashback storyline. And we learn that Boone is the heir to a wedding industry conglomerate great um and then he has been repeatedly falling prey to this grift that shannon has where she is basically getting money um and using uh, intimidating or abusive boyfriends as sort of the bait so when boone travels to australia in order to save shannon once again um he pays off her uh, abusive boyfriend who looks a lot like peter serafinowicz it he kind does. of tripped me out. He's yes. like a shorter, less funny Peter Serafinowicz. And I was like, yep. is that him doing like yep. an Australian accent <laughs> for a yes. second? It was very uh, confusing. So it was weird. jarring. Yeah. So strange. And so then, yeah, the boy with the boyfriend out of the picture, uh, Boone uh, and Shannon, uh, they uh, they get it on. It's uh, really gross. And um, yeah, uh, so Boone recovers from his uh, psychedelic experience. He's enlightened. He realizes that he no longer has to look out for Shannon. He casts off the shackles of simping, and he converts to the church of John Locke. (laughs) I was about to say, I think it's just simping of a different kind. You're right. (laughs) Because he immediately becomes this (laughs) endangered altar boy in the church of John Locke. (laughs) It's so weird. It is so weird. It does have one of the most interesting shots that I think has been in the show so far. And that's just the shot of Boone post-coitus, out of focus, in the dark, by himself. Oh, that shot and then was Shannon really turns off the Yeah, I love yeah. that shot. And then Shannon yeah. turns on the light and she's sitting in the chair. Love that shot. So, 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 since you brought up Pornhub... <laughs> This is not. This is not a great way to start, start a, to a conversation. Yeah, okay, that what is going to happen here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it was a network demand that they clearly identify 
in this episode ahead of time that Boone and Shannon are step-siblings and not actual siblings because I think that whole moment and the way it's written and everything constructed around it, it was originally supposed to be straight-up incest and the network put their foot down. I would not be surprised. Right? I would not be surprised. Doesn't it have that energy of being like Mm -hmm. really forbidden, not just a little forbidden? Yeah. Up until that point, do they even clarify that Boone and Shannon are... Step siblings? I don't think they, they do. don't. It's definitely jumped out to me that mm-hmm. it was said very clearly in the police station. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I think they had always just been identified as siblings. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. I'd put money on that. Ugh. Okay. And that leads me to my other question, which not really a question, but an observation, I guess. I think this episode for sure is the first time the writers of the show said we're doing a flashback to clarify that a character or a pair of characters really are unsympathetic. Mm. You know, this is the first time that a flashback has fully thrown characters under the bus. That's true. Up until this point, they have all been very, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, They come off more reprehensible than prior to. Yeah. Everything we learn about Boone here. I mean, the catharsis of his flashback being that he consummated his unrequited desire to fuck his stepsister. That's not exactly like a sympathetic arc for this dude to really go on. really not, yeah. After trying to pay off her abusive boyfriends and learning that that was just a Ponzi scheme, it really makes Shannon look bad too. I know, I know. It really surprises me now that she doesn't have a flashback this season. That's so strange. That is such a strange decision because right now her story feels so myopic from someone else's point of view mm-hmm. it's just all like the most negative shit that boone thinks about her yeah and we're never going to get her side of it to expand on or clarify that at yep. all and the interesting thing is i actually think shannon is the more interesting character oh definitely yeah 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 i think at this point the creators are looking at boone especially after having put this episode together and they're thinking all right, so we are definitely sacrificing any chance that this character will become relatable. Mm-hmm. He is now fully on the side of a guy who you are grossed out by. Yeah. And any redemption arc he has is going to take a lot of work, you know? <laughs> like, it right. would take a lot of right. building upon this character to get him back to sympathy. Oof. Oh, man. I know it's interesting. You're not a huge fan of uh, Summerhalder. I'm not. I will say this, though. Something that definitely jumped out to me is uh, I think he's way better in his flashbacks here than he has ever been on the show on the island. I think he's just a naturally soapy kind of an actor. He's an actor who makes sense in a soap opera or even in Mm -hmm. kind of a heightened soap opera like a gossip girl type show yeah i could see him actually doing well on something like that and apparently you know after lost he went on to vampire diaries right to great success he's the most popular character on that show he's easily the fan favorite people say he's charismatic he's funny i've never watched it myself but you just see him in the flashback and you're like oh that's what he makes sense in he doesn't make sense in a show that is equal parts grit and genre stuff. No, no. Like, he cannot sell any of his speech to Locke after he thinks Shannon is dead. No. Like, that scene is straight up awful. Yeah. And it's because he's grappling with a supernatural mystery. He's grappling with his sister just having been killed by a monster. He can't sell the unreality of that. Yeah, he, he can't. 
No. He's just on the wrong show. I think it's so. It's like we've been saying since the beginning. He just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yep. And I mean, it makes perfect sense in the context that J.J. cast him first. He was mm, the first person cast okay. out of any of the actors. Thinking of that, I'm just immediately like, oh, yeah, sure. They were casting for a different kind of show. Yeah. J.J. Yeah. probably had a whole different conception of this. And then as he built the rest of the cast, Summerholder was the odd man out. Yep. Originally, in J.J.'s pitch deck before Lindelof came on, J.J. had named Boone Five, as in, like, <laughs> he was Boone Carlisle the Fifth. Oh, boy. And so he just called himself Five, and it's supposed to just be, what? like, a weird rich kid affectation type thing. And uh, Lindelof hated it. And then the network also hated it. And wow. so Abram circled back to him, and I think Lindelof very gratefully was like, well, we could just call him, you know, anything else. Right. We could just give him a normal human name. <laughs> right. And uh, so they did what I often do when I'm writing a script, and I decide to change the name of a character. I just do a find and replace. Oh, so every instance boy. of it gets just changed a threat over. level midnight. Keep going. So as a result in the pilot script, Jack very seriously turns to Kate when she's stitching up his wound and like feeling sick and about to faint from the sight of it. And he says, uh, just close your eyes and count to Boone. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, is such a weird... It, it makes awesome. Me, it makes me think of that, um, that Run the Jewels song, Close Your Eyes and Count to Fuck. <laughs> It's just like this bizarre non sequitur that jars the fuck out of you. <laughs> Count to Boone and everything will be okay. Take some deep breaths. Once you get to Boone, you'll be fine. Yeah, it's really strange. I wish they had kept that in there and just not explained it. Can you imagine Matthew Fox trying to sell that? <laughs> I can, actually. He would be so sincere. Would. He would just put on his best TV drama face, stare into the middle distance. Once I reached Boone, everything was fine. Oh, Phil's dying over here, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, man. I really got him. I love non sequiturs. They make me laugh a lot. Same, same. Oh, boy. So, yeah. Summerhalter, I, I don't know much about him. You seem to know a little bit more about him than I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked him up a bit. So, he was born on the Gulf Coast of Louisiana. He began his career as a model at the age of 10, wow. which is pretty mm. intense. I mean, immediately thinking Little Buff Boys competition. <laughs> That's where I go. I just go to like Sam Richardson creeping on him in some kind of terrible looking banquet hall. So he he ended up dropping out of high school, I think at the age of 13 and toured Europe doing creepy underage ads for Calvin Klein, Dolce & Gabbana, Gucci and the like. Sweet. But he ended up switching from modeling to acting at the age of 17. His first major role was on uh, Young Americans, which was a, a Dawson's Creek spinoff, which ties back in in that Kevin Williamson, the head writer of Dawson's Creek, would go on to create The Vampire Diaries as well. Mm, so mm -hmm. he may have had Summerholder in mind from that early thing. So it was canceled after its first season. Summerholder on it plays a guy who's struggling with his sexuality because he has a crush on this character named Jake, who is actually a girl named oh, Jacqueline. Okay. It seems like a network sort of like, you know, well, you can't actually have a crush on a boy. So let's have him have a crush on a girl what? pretending okay. to be a boy. Huh. 
but he's played a lot of LGBT characters since then, and he's actually part of a foundation that focuses on mental health and suicide prevention among LGBT youth. So that's really that's cool. awesome. Yeah. He also was heavily involved in cleanup from the uh, Deepwater Horizon disaster. Subsequent to that, he founded a foundation, the Ian Summerhalder Foundation. Oh, boy. Focusing on conservation and climate change. Wow. And now he's actually a United Nations goodwill ambassador because what? of his environmentalism. Yeah, dude. Good for this guy, man. So it seems like a great guy. He's yeah. got a lot of really worthy causes under his belt. He found a lot of success in the Vampire Diaries post-loss. So, you know, just wanted to put all, all that out there since... I've yeah. been pretty mean about him and his performance across yeah, the show. You really show. have. I've just been mean about his whole general vibe. So You've just been dunking on Boone all the... Anyway, I keep know, going. I know. So, you know, he seems like a great guy. I will say, though, his IMDb quotes page is this bizarre roller coaster where it's like half weird heartthrob thirst trapping and half environmental activism. And the quotes <laughs> just follow each other <laughs> seamlessly. <laughs> it's really strange. Hold on. I'm going to pull some up. He says, I don't care how hot a girl is. If she doesn't like animals, it would be a major, major problem. Wow. <laughs> Pretty aggressive. Species conservation is beyond a doubt an issue that truly matters to the American public. And then the next quote is, no one knows what women want. <laughs> There's so many. This guy has thoughts, here. man. This guy has thoughts. Oh, man. Okay. So he says, I can write with absolutely perfect penmanship with my feet. If I broke both my arms, I could still write a girl a love letter using just my toes. What? I can't let time move on without fighting tooth and nail and hopefully being part of a positive revolution. Wow. <laughs> the way these it, just like butt up against each the other. Gamut. Is yeah, this so like strange. runs the gamut of just like large yeah. existential uh, <laughs> crises, but then like hopeful, like a better planet yeah. mixed with. The minutia of romantic relationships and uh, personal idiosyncrasies. It's very and very stuff about strange. one's feet. Yeah, yeah, this is really odd. <laughs> yeah. Really so, odd. Wow. That's just it's a real roller coaster with that. No guy. kidding. Tell you what, that is amazing. Whew. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oof. What do you think, like, works about the episode? Um... I like some of the suspense moments. Mm -hmm. I like the moment where 
a lock ties up Boone and he has to mm-hmm. strain his wrist to mm-hmm. get back out of it. And Locke just generally being creepy and intense and this sort of yes. bizarre. He's, he's starting a cult, right? Cult leader. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. That stuff is pretty interesting. And Boone and Shannon running from the monster, it's like they had to throw the monster into this episode. Oh, absolutely. This Otherwise, episode, nothing. It needed the monster. It needed an appearance by the monster. Brought to you sure. by Pornhub. Yeah. And then really the other thing that works is just Hurley and Jin fishing is so funny. I mean, it uh, is. Hurley just continues to kill it with absolutely everybody. He's just, he continues to prove that he has amazing chemistry with every single member of this cast. It's so good. Absolutely. Yeah. Love Jorge Garcia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I do agree with you regarding Locke, but this is kind of funny because Locke's not even the focal character, as you pointed out like a couple of minutes <laughs> yeah. ago. Yeah, it's it's funny to be more about Locke in an episode that's about somebody yeah, else. Yeah, you can tell that they were just like, we're in a bit of trouble here with these characters. We need to bulk up everyone yeah. else's part. They, it really feels like they're positioning Locke to be a major antagonist. The thing that really set that off for me was a moment where Locke sneaks up on Saeed. And Saeed is like very surprised that he didn't hear a lot coming. And I feel like that is totally setting up, oh, these guys might end up, they might have a rumble at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It definitely is telegraphing that Locke is a major threat. Yeah. Any other thoughts on uh, Hearts and Minds? Hmm. Let's see. Well, I guess we can cover Maggie Grace as well. Yeah. It's such a bummer that she doesn't have a focus episode in this season. Even if it was one that continued to paint her character in a negative light. I think as you're totally right. She's the more interesting of the two characters. She's the one I want to learn more about. And even if it's only learning how she ticks in a bad way, I think that would be more intriguing than Boone, who's just kind of soppy and kind of this character who's hateable, but not in an enjoyable way. You're exasperated with him. You're tired of You really are. He's done so much (laughs) dumb stuff. 12 episodes in, he's done some Whereas really Shannon stuff. feels more like she could end up being one of the leading members of the cult. You know, she could be picking up that white hot brand and putting Nexium into the flesh of other Canadian actors. Absolutely. And that would be Absolutely. intriguing, at least. You know, it would be cool to see her transformation mm-hmm. from kind of a vapid, out of touch party girl into this sort of minor conquistador. <laughs> what Ian Summerholder said of Shannon, he said, she's hateable on Lost, but really Maggie is the sweetest, most adorable thing on the planet, which it's him trying to defend her, but at once saying, oh, your character sucks. And also, I just think you're adorable. Ugh, that yeah. is that is a double dose of just self-incrimination, basically. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I, Maggie Grace, she was born in Ohio. She came up doing school plays, community theater. I just like a li- had a little instant goodwill to learn that she was like really into Shakespeare plays in high school. I was mm-hmm. like, oh man, she wasn't mm-hmm. a musical theater kid. She liked playing Desdemona or Juliet or people like that. I thought that was kind of rad. But her breakout role was in this TV movie called uh, Murder in Greenwich, which she portrayed this real life murder victim, Martha Moxley, who was she was she was killed at like the age of 15 um and it was directed by this guy Tom McLaughlin i was just intrigued by this credit cuz i'd seen this pop up on his letterboxd profile before because he was the director of 
Friday the 13th 6, Jason Lives. Oh, I know okay. you're not okay. really a big fan of those movies. I'm not a I huge am, fan. But yeah. I really got into them in the past few years. I think just because they're so insanely watchable, there's something about their formula where they're all kind of just decent and they never fall off too hard it's sort of like the marvel thing you get this consistency because it never has to like oh now you want to support marvel is that, that what's going much. on no here? no okay. i'm just saying that's, yeah, right. that's sort of the thing oh. about friday where it's like other horror franchises are so ungainly and they so often run into these bizarre dead ends whereas friday it just keeps cranking out those same exact installments like clockwork but uh-huh. part six is really well directed you look at part six and you're like this guy should have gone on to bigger things. And I wonder if it's just that he got stuck in like the horror movie ghetto essentially and couldn't extricate himself from that. I don't know. But this TV movie with Maggie Grace is like one of his only other credits. And I'm just so surprised by that because you watch that movie and it's actually really stylish and really well done. Mm. But uh-huh. yeah, but the movie Murder in Greenwich sounds like a piece of shit, honestly. There's <laughs> mostly an image rehab for Mark Furman. So, oh boy. yeah, he's played by Christopher Ooh. Maloney here, oh pre-SVU, boy. and yeah, just oh seems boy. gross. So yeah. anyway, so Oof. she went on to mm-hmm. a bunch of small roles in like CSI Miami, SVU, Cold Case, uh, I assume playing various murder victims, various, various victims, yeah, pretty blonde white girls who've been horribly mutilated in the opening scene mm-hmm. in the cold open. And mm-hmm. she was also in The Lion's Den, which oh. I'm going to make a running thread oh, in this podcast. Oh boy. Oh no. There oh. is a clip of you that mean the show vehicle? that the the Roblo the vehicle. The Roblo vehicle. This this was his real shot at an anti-hero vehicle, man. Let me tell you. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have to play a scene from The Lion's Den for you at some point during this miniseries. So Lost was really her bigger breakout, though. It was definitely her most visible role. After that, she was in the Taken trilogy. She's Liam Neeson's kidnapped daughter. Uh, She was in The Last Two Twilights. She's in... I think her most recent credit is Fear the Walking Dead. But yeah, she's she's kept working. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I just... you look at the show and you're like, man, they really threw Boone under the bus and Shannon was already there. It was, it was an afterthought that they were going to sort of let her character become totally unsympathetic here. And it's too bad because I think Maggie Grace had a lot to offer the show. I would agree. Yeah. Can we just briefly talk about the men on Lost and the fact that they have no boundaries and do some problematic stuff? Can we talk about that? Yes, definitely. I mean, let's just talk. I mean, all of the thus far, yeah, all of the men on Lost have done some problematic stuff. And I know that this is a show where the theme is about reinventing oneself, you know, the blank slate being a new version of yourself. But these guys, clearly a big problem for all of these men is just boundaries, <laughs> right? So we've yeah. got like Charlie. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in the next uh, the next episode. But it's a running theme across both of them, though, for sure. There really the way is. That Boone yeah. is up in his stepsister's business. Yes, yes. Boone is really he's simping too hard. Jack also goes into simp territory quite frequently. Slips into it very, very easily. This is the episode with the seeds. With his weird flirting yeah, with the with seeds. with the weird flirting with the seeds. All of the Jack seeds, yeah. flirting is so awkward. It's so awkward. It's so, it's so strange. Bad. It's so bad. Sawyer is another guy who, again, I mean, let's just be honest. This guy was like butt-ass naked a few episodes ago. Yeah. 
Not consensual. Not right, consensual. Right. Yeah. These guys are a little weird. I don't know how I feel about these uh, characters on the second rewatch. And it's across the board and not super commented on. You're supposed no, to no. mostly think they're charming, with the exception yeah. of Boone, I guess. Yeah. Right. The only guy thus far who seems solid, there's two guys. Yeah. It's Hurley and Michael. Hurley and Michael, yeah. I'd say. The rest of them are trouble. Oh, this is just a little weird point of question, but something something with the monster in this episode. So they have the fake out death with Shannon, where she gets mm-hmm. snatched up by the monster. And mm-hmm. she is chewed up with all these little wounds, very much like the pilot in the first episode, how he was also sort of mutilated up in that tree. This feels like it's part of an earlier conception of the monster that changes probably changed very shortly after this. You know what I'm saying? Because okay. the monster later in the show doesn't really, like, chomp on people. No. You don't get this vibe no. that he might be a wild animal that's grabbing people and, like, mauling them, chewing them up and spitting them out. He more bludgeons them. Yeah, yes, he bludgeons it's a, them. like a... Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was weird. And, I mean, I guess since it's a hallucination, we can't trust any of it, but... Right. It's still the show playing by its established rules for the monster from the first episode. And I think it's right. it's just interesting to see that at some later point. It changes that later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Odd episode, uh, Hearts and Minds. The biggest takeaway that anyone comes away with from this episode is the fact that Boone wants to have sex with his stepsister. And that's about it. That was the key to unlocking his character, apparently. That was really it. There's nothing left for this guy. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, man. Yeah, he just needs to close his eyes and count to Boone. He really does. <laughs> count to Wait himself. for those impure thoughts to go away. By the time he reaches Boone, his simping should have abated. So who directed this episode? Oh, man. Uh, it was Rod Holcomb. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting how half of the directors are fairly new to television and then the other half are like old school television Mm -hmm. and especially genre tv guys he got his start in the 70s he directed the six million dollar man the og Battlestar galactica he directed fantasy island which to some extent is probably a precursor to lost as well you know yeah totally different vibe different tone of a show but sort of networks expanding into this sort of genre fair for sure. Yeah. But he was best known for directing the pilot, several episodes, and also the series finale of ER. And wow. that's a show that I think Lost also has a lot of DNA from. ER? Ensemble casts, yeah. You have this mm-hmm. ensemble cast, you have elements of a real medical drama in Lost. Not just the Jack flashbacks, but also all of Jack's material on the island, too. It kind of feels like in the same way that you could look at the X-Files and be like, well, Mulder is essentially Agent Cooper, and Scully's essentially Clarice Starling, and now they've been dropped Mm -hmm. into a procedural. This is like a network show where they took a character out of a medical procedural like ER and dropped him into a fantasy island. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. other thing is that ER was the first show that had Steadicam. So in that way, too, uh, it was sort okay. of part of this yeah. visual upgrade toward more cinematic camera language that um, yeah. you know, Lost is definitely another step along that journey. Man, 
Yeah. Odd episode. Yeah. Odd episode. It's a tough one. It is. I, I preferred special quite a bit. I don't like the title, but I prefer that episode <laughs> quite a bit. It's not a good title. Neither title's very good. Hearts and Minds and Special? Come on. Yeah. Hearts and Minds, I'm not even really sure what that's referring to. Yeah. but It just feels like a cold oatmeal of a title. Not unlike it really the episode is. it's identifying. <laughs> 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 yeah, so we yes. should we should just jump over to a special, right? Of course. So special is a Michael Dawson centric episode. The episode, honestly, there's more going on in the flashback than I would say in the actual current timeline. Oh, definitely. Uh, in yeah. special, that the island the, yeah. is like the B plot. The island is exactly. So in special, Saeed continues to attempt to map the island. Charlie is recovering from losing Claire and dealing with his grief. Everyone else is um, done yeah, recovering. Everyone <laughs> else is what. done. No one cares, man. Nobody's And concerned. it's so funny because like this was my thing. It's like, yeah, in the previous episode and in this episode, people are walking around the island by themselves after this woman has been abducted violently and another person has been like nearly executed they're still just gonna like walk around in the jungle at night in broad daylight by themselves nobody circled up around a bonfire with sharpened sticks or something exactly no one does this yeah i could not believe that but anyway all right so um, special focuses on the trials of, of Michael Dawson um, and the sort of eerie aura around Walt. So throughout the season, we've seen Michael struggle to bond with Walt, um, and there's not really much explanation given up until this episode. And so we've also seen Michael sort of be uncomfortable with Walt's affinity for Locke as well, again, without much explanation up until now. The focus of the episode is on Michael, Walt, and Locke. And it starts with Michael forbidding Walt from hanging out with Locke and threatening Locke in the process. Um, in the flashback storyline, we learn that Michael and his then-girlfriend Susan became pregnant, um, and their relationship immediately fell apart after Walt's birth. Michael really wants to remain in Walt's life. Um, he wants to be involved with his son and be a good dad. Um, however, um, after being in a uh, brutal car accident, Susan convinces Michael to relinquish custody of Walt, who is then going to be adopted by her new husband, whose name is Brian. Brian seems like he is very wary of Walt. He seems to like Walt, but I think he just feels like Walt has weird vibes. Oh, another weird thing. So... Yeah. Brian in this episode is Susan's jerky new husband. And then Brian was also Shannon's abusive boyfriend in the previous episode. What? Oh, he was I didn't even catch Brian. that. So it's like... Oh, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. It was like there was some weird copy-pasting here. Oh, that's Brian weird. Brian was just the name for every douchebag yeah. in a flashback. Yeah. And they just forgot to change it. Of course, yeah. It's like close your eyes and count to Brian. <laughs> basically so years later about like a decade uh, later susan she unexpectedly dies and brian returns uh walt to live with michael that's what ends up uh, bringing michael to australia to retrieve walt and that's how they end up on flight 815 the episode ends with charlie finding a reference to the black rock in claire's diary because he is snooping through her diary and Michael is saving Walt from the neighborhood polar bear. And out in the jungle, Boone and Locke find a, a surviving and alive Claire. And that's the cliffhanger. Yeah. Interesting episode. What do you think about it? Okay, okay. I. It's uneven, I feel. I gotta admit something, man. That sort of 
came together for me watching this episode again. And I like this episode better than I did when I originally saw it. I remember being pretty frustrated and kind of bored with this episode on my initial go through. And I, I was surprised by how much I was enjoying it on the rewatch. But I think for me, the thing is, I really like Harold Perrineau, mm-hmm. but I don't like Michael as a character very much. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Where do you land on him? So this, I think, might just be the difference between the two of us, which is I am always looking at the writing. Yeah. Because this reminds me of our uh, discussion about Dune and Timothy Chalamet. (laughs) (laughs) This is the same thing, though. Like, I think Timothy Chalamet is a great actor. I think uh, Harold Perrineau is a great actor. I don't think that Michael is the best written character on the show. Oh yeah, no, that's uh, what dude. Think, that's I'm. I, we're in agreement in that case. Yeah, like, and I. I don't think ahead. it's by any fault of Paranos. I think no, it's all not in at the all. Writing no. of the character. It's all in the writing of the character, and he's not particularly. There's no variance. There is no multitude to the character besides him being like a stern, scared father. Which, on one hand, as a person of color, I think it's great to see a dad who just in terms of representation this is a guy who wanted to be a good dad who had that taken away from him and could have easily been a stereotype that we have often seen about like men of color and uh, fathers of color and he just turned out to not be that and so i think on on one hand that's really interesting to see but on the other hand give us more you know for this guy give us more for this guy to do give us more for this actor to do rather than have him just be a stern, upset dad. Yeah, that's where I fall on the character. Yeah, I'm with you. Looking at this episode, I think they were really trying to give him more, but I think it might have been a case of them realizing, oh, in Perino, we have this really talented actor. We have this talented actor who's been on kind of a hot streak, and he's on this show, and we have not written enough for him exactly. to really engage with this character. Exactly. And so I feel like this episode feels like them trying to give him a bunch of stuff. But at the same time, it feels a little like they were overthinking it and also sort of writing themselves into a corner with his character. Because by the end of it, you've got all of these weird threads with him that don't really feel like they're related to anything yeah. on the yeah. island or anything that's part of the show. I mean, you've got the whole tease of Walt being a psychic, which I'm going to spoil this because it's not really a spoiler. They never come back to that. Yep. All of the Walt having magic powers is dropped. This is pretty much the only time that it's directly addressed. There might be some other little hints of it, but it's like it's a dead end plot thread. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is they come up with this really convoluted story of how Michael actually wasn't fathering Walt up until this point. Right. That he essentially wanted to keep him but wasn't able to because his partner. Because his partner is mean. Because his girlfriend is mean. Yeah. Took the kid away. Not quite kidnapped but definitely separated him from his son in a way that's not strictly legal and was just like well the law will be on my side so don't worry about it and then the father dumps the kid back with michael after nine years because he's afraid of him because this kid has the shine he has the shine (laughs) you know and it's such a strange thing it i think it makes the father-son dynamic convoluted in a way it didn't need to be like i think 
Michael could have just been struggling to be a parent on a dangerous fantasy island. It didn't have to be that he also didn't really have this connection with his son for so long by no fault of his own. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. It felt yeah. it felt like they were really stretching to try and give him a lot more meat to chew on. And in the end, I'm not sure that it succeeded for me. Which is interesting because like, I think you and I have had the discussion about how this show didn't quite know. If it didn't know what it was going to be, then the sin that they committed was not writing material strong enough for the actors that they had brought on board. Like we talked about Yoon Jin Kim, we talked about uh, Naveen Andrews, Josh Holloway, and I even think, yeah, that we can add Harold Perrineau to the list of like really good actors with material that I think is below their performance level. Yeah, and I sort of feel the pressure of that in this episode more than any of the others because I think they realize, oh, we have this really strong actor who's also a person of color and we haven't given him enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were trying to fill that out. And I like Perno's great in it. Yeah. That scene he has with Walt at the end, he's doing a fantastic job. Absolutely. But yeah, it just, I don't know. I guess to get into Perrineau's backstory, he was a Brooklyn native. He attended a American dance theater, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. So mm-hmm. I, that's interesting that he has like a movement background before everything else. I wonder if Absolutely. that led into him being cast as, you know, Mercutio in uh Romeo yes. and Juliet, yes. mm-hmm. in which mm-hmm. he fully fucking rules. He's he taking so ecstasy awesome. while wearing yes. his seven-year itch dress. <laughs> so and great. He, Fucking rules, man. I watched that uh, movie again pretty recently. It's a fucking knockout. Game. I think he's it's the so best part dope. of the movie. His death scene's incredible. I mean, he's yeah. great. Yeah. It's like he's between so him and just the final scene, which I think is like so perfectly staged. It's the best yeah. version ever of the murder-suicide that spoilers ends Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off if you right. need that spoiled In case you didn't know. Yeah, they right. They both die at the end. But yeah, um, fucking great on that. You know, he had popped up quite a bit before. I see here you said his his first TV credit was uh, on the Cosby show. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. immediately getting like a huge audience. He was in King of New York. Yeah. He, uh, yes. he tries to mug Christopher Walken on the subway. It's a <laughs> really right. great scene. I love oh, that scene. Oh, man. I forgot about where that. Where Walken just oh. opens up his jacket and he's got like a desert eagle stuck in right. his pants. <laughs> Check out this chrome dick full of bullets (laughs) that I could just pop off right now. And instead he pulls out the biggest billfold, the largest wad of cash I've ever seen. And just hands Perrineau some hundreds and is like, yeah, go to this address. I might have a job for you. Fucking cool as shit, man. What a crazy movie. What an awesome movie, man. Ferreira. (laughs) What a madman. What a (laughs) madman. That movie is tonally everywhere. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I thought it was so interesting, though. You found here that following, of course, playing Link in the Matrix sequels, which I think he's very good in those. I think it's a bit of a thankless role just because Tank pops so hard in the first Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. He's played by Tommy Chong's son. I didn't know yes. that until recently. Was that Marcus Chong? Marcus Chong, yeah. And mm-hmm. he, I don't know, was difficult to work with or wanted too much money. I think there was, or, yeah, there was a money thing from what I've heard. Yeah. And so they didn't bring him back. So he just died off screen. It was always kind of a bummer. I was like, ah, I like Perrineau so much. But yeah. him getting cast in this role, and, you know, it always sucks to be the replacement for a character people like exactly. and a movie people love. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah that he, when he was brought on, to play the character he was initially kind of skeptical about playing dawson but eventually he was kind of convinced to go ahead and take on the role and i mean this is interesting because 
he, Dominic Monaghan, and Matthew Fox, these are the most recognizable faces on the show up until this point. Again, yeah. For sure. Dominic Monaghan coming off of Lord of the Rings. I'd say Harold Perrineau has got a pretty... He's recognizable at this point. Oh, He's done a Matrix ton of TV sequels. work. Yeah. The Matrix. Huge. Yeah. Everyone knows who he is at this point. Yeah. At the outset of Michael's character arc, he was supposed to develop a romance with Sun, but they removed this because I guess there was a, fans really liked Sun and Jen together. Um, so they sort of cut that storyline out, which is interesting because you can tell that there are hints of it oh, at sure. the beginning. Yeah, yeah when like he runs into her tension. topless and they have yeah, that mm-hmm. long thirsty long moment. stare. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. definitely there. And then they go, they went ahead and they axed that plot line. Interesting. Yeah, I think because Jin was popping too. Like Daniel Day was. was really intriguing and charming. And I think everyone was like, oh, no, actually, we can build this character out. And he's mm-hmm. he's going to be great too. Yeah, yeah, that's too bad. So like, it, it seems like they didn't quite know what to do. They didn't know how to give this character the proper story arc. Right. Um, and I remember Perrineau saying that although the first season was one of the best acting experiences he had ever had. He found the ending of the show and the ending of his character to be fairly frustrating. Right. So yeah, here's a question. Do you think lost kind of killed his career momentum? Yes, I think so. Without a doubt. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's such a bummer. Mm -hmm. Something that's really frustrating to me about it is he definitely spoke out after he left lost about how he felt that the show didn't know what to do with a character who's a person of color and he felt like he was kind of disregarded because people just didn't seem to care as much about his storyline. And he was like, I thought that this was a good piece of representation and apparently like they didn't value that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that the writers of the show, especially Lindelof in any way, disregarded that sort of representation with malice i think it was more a combination of oversight and also just unintentionally sort of botching his storyline i I Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. but it added up to the same thing essentially exactly yeah yeah and you know the unfortunate thing is that i do wonder if it was those comments or just like the way that his role on lost went but it kind of felt like he wasn't getting cast a lot after that that's what i kind of felt after really being on a hot streak yep going into lost yeah i remember hearing him having i remember having read the comments or having heard him heard that he had said them and thinking oh like this probably is not going to go so well for him i know within the next few years yeah and that's what i think ended up happening i mean he's still getting work it's just like he's not going to be first or second build on a television show uh, moving forward. I don't think. And he hasn't been. Or a lead in a movie. Or a lead in a movie. Because it really seemed like he was ramping up to that I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he post-lost, I mean, he's doing steady work, like working on Sons of Anarchy. He was in Zero Dark Thirty. Another show I think is called The Rookie. And he was in TNT's Claws, like as in a as a guest appearance. Is that so good? I don't know, but That's I kind of want to watch. It's so fun. good. I know yeah. it looks like a fun show. And it's like Niecy Nash and Dean Norris. And Dean like, Norris, I'm, sign me up for that. I love both of them. Yeah, yeah right. Seriously, oh, man. And then Amazon's Goliath as well. Um, I think he yeah. is going to. He might be the lead in upcoming uh, epics uh, horror series, and I think it's just called From. I have no idea From. what this is about. But yeah, I think he might be the lead in that. Just a preposition. Just a preposition. That's all you got. 
but that's the thing. He's such a talented actor that I'm like, oh yeah, he's going to be the lead in a show. He can totally carry that. Mm -hmm. Like I had no hesitation from me as, as far as like, yeah, I would watch a show that looked good that starred Harold Perrineau. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because like the thing I'd known him for the most pre lost was uh, I had watched, I watched the early seasons of Oz. I didn't stick with that show, but I watched Mm -hmm. the first few and he's so fucking good on that Mm -hmm. show. He's playing this character. He's this inmate who is essentially also the Greek chorus of the show. Mm. So he'll be in the episodes, but then he'll also have these random soliloquy asides that are just Mm -hmm. him in sort of a black box theater situation, Mm -hmm. talking to the audience about the themes of the show. And he did that so well. You can tell he has that Shakespearean training that he is able to like convert these sort of florid passages of prose into really, really like interesting speeches. And that's something that I think immediately strikes me as Michael not being a great fit for him or mm. or also just being underwritten mm-hmm. because he's such an intellectual actor. I feel yeah. like he comes out everything from such a... That's, that's the way in for him to all characters. And, you know, you see him talking with Tamara Taylor, who plays Susan in the early flashbacks, and he's just so light on his feet and Mm -hmm. charming. And he Mm -hmm. mentions something about a love poem being too prosaic. And the way that that just rolls off his tongue, you're like, oh, this guy is is, very sharp. And he's not been written this way at all up to this point. Mm -hmm. And you feel like, oh, the, the writers of the show were like, we're not really giving... Her know enough to play to his strengths, I guess, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. Tamara Taylor, I don't know if you recognized her. She yeah, I did. To me mm-hmm. She was, um, I think, the third or fourth lead on Bones. For, yes. Uh, 11 of its 12 seasons yep. or something crazy like that's that. right so uh she she is one of the richest people in hollywood <laughs> it's safe to say do, do you know why why because bones was the center of a hollywood accounting lawsuit where all of the stars of bones sued for their residuals because fox oh. had been claiming that the show never turned a profit even oh, though they renewed wow. it 12 times 12 times <laughs> yo but they just couldn't ever like make any money with that show but they just kept trying and so yeah so the whole cast and the creators sued the fox network and they got a lump sum payout of all of their residuals across all the run of that show so, so she's just never got to work for the rest of her life oh good for her yeah get dude. that money girl right get that she, money. i mean yeah yeah, seriously. She might just be, like, buying her own island right now. Good know? for her. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fucking uh, cool. I mean, fuck the Fox Network. <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah, like, Hollywood accounting is so fucking shady, dude. They do that all the time. Oh, yeah, this this movie that was a total flop, actually, it basically broke even. Or uh, this thing that was a wild runaway success, oh, we just couldn't figure out how to make money <laughs> off it, though. Yeah, that sounds terrible. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, What did you think about Malcolm David Kelly's performance in this episode? I thought he was good. He's not doing much, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I I think he's been so good up to this point. I think the really heavy dramatic scenes in the flashback with Michael definitely like were a bit of a stretch for him as an actor. Mm -hmm. Maybe he wasn't quite snapping out of his usual performance mode in those scenes. But like, I mean, he holds the camera really well. He just has a charisma to him. Yeah, I do think... Okay, so this is a bit of a sensitive topic, but I'm just going to barrel into it. Oh, no. Oh, no. 
do you think it's super weird that Walt was raised by an uptight white attorney for his entire childhood? Yeah. Does that yeah, do. does he strike you as someone yeah, totally with that weird. vibe? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I think Walt, it's weird. Mm-hmm. He like he has a manner of speaking, he has a bit of an accent. He doesn't seem like someone who was raised by those parents. No. Right? No, 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 no. Nope. At all. I don't think so. You could sort of picture him being raised by Harold Perrineau, but even that's a bit of a stretch. Even they, like, speak in very different, Different like, cadences. Yeah. 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 And finding out it's this dude, Brian, <laughs> who raised... Brian him. is the one. Brian is yeah. the problem. Yeah, Brian and he shows up problem. in his little, like, Harry Potter sweater, you know, from, like, whatever <laughs> charter school he's been at. And it's like, this is not the vibe I was expecting no. from Walt at all. No, right? not at all. Especially yeah. given that's not how he behaves on the island. No, no. no. He it almost, totally it almost feel like two different people. But yeah, Malcolm David Kelly, he's got a, a pretty interesting backstory, too. Yeah. His first major role, he played the child version of Antoine Fisher. Oh, that's right. adult by Derek Luke. In, that's um, right. Denzel's directorial debut. I always forget yes. that. That, was yeah. the, that he directed a movie that long ago. And it's a strong, it's a strong uh, yeah. debut, I'd say. Yeah. yeah, very good. Go ahead, yeah. though. Yeah. No, no, totally. But he also was in You Got Served, Malcolm in the Middle, mm. Judging Amy, and like Lost was a big role for him. And post that, so he got a bunch of supporting roles after Lost, but then he had the lead role on a, a Nickelodeon show, actually a Teen Nick show mm-hmm. called uh, Gigantic, which I'm sure <laughs> isn't trying to reference the Pixie song about child molestation. <laughs> oh, God. But, you know, immediately, I'm like, hmm, is that really what you want to call this? Anyway, um, he ended up becoming really good friends with his co-star on that, uh, Tony Aller, and they formed a pop duo together that have had, like, major fucking hits. What? They hit number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100 in, like, the summer of 2014. They've sold over a million albums worldwide, dude. Yo, Walt's got that heat, man. Okay, awesome. There's this duo called MKTO, which I have to admit I've never heard of, or if I'd heard them in passing on the radio, uh, I just never, ever made that connection. But uh, good for him, you know? Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. Good on him, And you look at him now, and he's just... He's totally, I, I barely recognize him. He's super yeah. handsome and tall. Because yeah. uh, the famous thing about him is he had this huge growth spurt right at the end of season one. Right. I remember that. that yeah. Really so he, back, he looks like a different person. For the producers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what are you going to do? I think this is a solid episode. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. say that it's one of the best. But I think in terms of what it is putting out there, in terms of the storylines, I think that they all work and or at least are serviced well enough by the actors to make the episode fairly enjoyable. Yeah, and fairly compelling as well. Like, I think Perrineau gives a good performance. He's so compelling. I think man. he's good. He really I think is. Locke is great. I think Terry O'Quinn is great yeah. as sort of like a character who could be an ally, but then is also fairly menacing at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. I love that dynamic that he's putting out there. And I think, yeah, Malcolm David Kelly is great. Um, yeah, and Tamara Taylor, also awesome um, as Susan. She's so really good. She's yeah. very, very good. It sucks good. that she dies super yes. suddenly in between commercial breaks. Yes, <laughs> yes that's right. <laughs> that was weird. Oh, man. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the episode? 
just a few little things like yeah. when Boone attacks Michael oh, early on, no. yeah, when he just man. jumps on him to protect <sighs> his new savior of Locke, yes. that was when I was like, oh, okay. So the writers are fully dedicated to us hating him now. Mm -hmm. They're writing mm -hmm. specifically to us, rooting against Boone. Yeah. He's fully hateable now, post his flashback episode. Which is funny. And then also, I think Michael, what is the comment that he says in response to that? Which is like, what are you, his watchdog? Yeah. And I thought, like, oh, yeah, that's exactly right, what everyone's right. thinking. And now yeah. the writers have just made a slight adjustment to where they're now on that same page with us as mm -hmm. far as... We hate him, too. Yeah. MC5 goes. <laughs> little Lord 5 over here. So, uh, yeah, um, just other little things. I, I thought the moment where Michael gets hit by the car was extremely well done. It's really mm -hmm. jarring. It really struck me. And um, the way they did it, I think they probably hit a cut or like composited a cut when some pedestrians walk past michael it wipes and turns him mm -hmm. into a stuntman for the car hit so you get parano uh, in the shot okay. and then a, seemingly mm -hmm. without a cut he's the one who gets hit. Mm -hmm. so that was that was yep. pretty impressive yep. just a little bit of craft there yeah i really liked that just very brief scene of Kate and Charlie on the beach at sunset. That was a yeah. really beautiful series of shots, especially the wide. I agree. Kate and Sawyer continue to bicker and it continues to be like the hottest thing on the show. <laughs> There's just so much energy between them <laughs> yeah. and the problematic or not. It's just unfortunately oh. like that is what is working the best of all this. That's what they're giving us. Ugh. Unresolved romantic tension. That's the one that really makes sense. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, just that Perno's fantastic. I mean, he really kills that big yeah. scene where he meets Walt. And I just wish that the material had just been written a little better to him from the start. And yeah. at this point, it almost feels like it's too late. It almost feels like we have our core characters and Michael is a side character. Yeah, yeah. Again, because he up until this point, he hasn't been given much to do other than worry about right. Walt. And again, like that, to the extent that it became memeable, yeah. right? Like the thing with Michael was the fact that he was always yelling Walt. And that's all that anyone knew him for. Before we had the constant yelling of Carl and where's Carl, right. there was where's Walt. Right. Yeah. Where's yeah. Walt? It's too bad. Oh, uh, man. It's yeah. too bad. The whole like climax with the polar bear, it's another one of these kind of like cheesy island. It is. Uh, yeah. Complications. Not unlike the cave-in. There's yes. the implication that Walt summoned the polar bear via that comic book a little bit. Oh. I guess like trying to tie oh, in more yeah, of that's psychic right, that's powers. Right. Yeah. And again, it's just like, ugh, Walt and his psychic powers, man. <laughs> they did not know what they were doing with this character. Yeah. They did not know what to do with that. At and then all. Claire returns at the end, and it's kind of the first time in both of these episodes that I'm like, all right. Things are moving again. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it also underlines, man, they really botched the whole Claire is kidnapped storyline. Yep, they really did. Yep. After starting it off so well, they really dropped the ball on it. Oof. <sighs> yeah. Oof. Yeah, that was yeah. rough. Let's see. Oh, I know what time it is. It's time for Name That Episode, dude. I want to throw in one thing that I forgot to mention earlier, though, which was just uh, the What's director that? on special was oh, yeah. Greg mm -hmm. Nutanis again. That's this right. This is a second episode for Lost after directing Solitary, and uh, he just returned for one more episode in Season Boon. <laughs> That's right. 
that's the best season. People say that they really like season. Blue Boone. is all about season Boone. Is she really? Okay. Favorite. All right. Wild, <sighs> wild behavior. All right. You know what time it is, right? <laughs> I guess it's time for a little name that episode. Yeah. 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 Here we go. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Just all two right. today. All right. These were made to order. They fresh. are. These are so yo. These are fresh. These are hot off the skillet. Right off there the grill. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, this season three episode of The Shield was directed by Nick Gomez, during which Vic Mackey engages in a power struggle with Claudette, while Aceveda gets clues toward finding the Armenian money train. Mm. Is this episode called Safe? It is not. Fuck. Mm-mm. Fuck. Fuck. Oh, 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 oh. What number episode is this in season three? Episode Boone. God damn it, of course it is. <laughs> Fuck. I believe it's right after an episode entitled Bottom Bitch. Are you which really? Is quite a vibe. Wow, yeah, that's a whole vibe right there. <laughs> that's the shield for you. <laughs> He's diving into that <laughs> really? real problematic material. Did you hear? All right, so you know what the unofficial tagline of that show was, right? No, what was it? I think Vic, uh, gosh, what's his name? Chickless uh, said that yeah. amongst the cast, yeah. the tagline was "The Shield." It's so wrong, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant because that is a That's perfect great. summation of the show. It's such a good tagline. Really it's is. so wrong. <laughs> Don't you want to watch it? Right. Oh Ooh. man. Any any hint about the title? It's not. It's one word, I'm three so letters. One word, three letters, and it is after Bottom Bitch, but it's two episodes after. Oh, okay. That was the third. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Uh, don't know. All right, are you giving up? Fuck, because episode four is streaks and tips. Yep. Right. Yep. God damn it! I'm just missing this one. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. Giving it up. It's called Mom. M U M. Mom. Mom. Yes. <gasps> Oh, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Well, you didn't tell I, me the I big didn't, thing about know, this episode. I did not. You I did fucker. Because if you had told me I know, the episode mm-hmm. where I know, David I don't Aceveda even, is oh, horrible, boy. then yeah. I would have known it right away. Shit. Oh, <sighs> boy. Yeah. Oh, it's upsetting. That is a brutal episode. That is upsetting. That is one of the more disturbing yep. turns. Left that out on purpose. Yep. Yeah. Ah. On to the next one. Yeah. All right, here we go. Uh, in this season Boone episode of Lost, Locke, in the flashback timeline, he attempts to reunite the Oceanic Six with the help of Charles Widmore and Matthew Abaddon until Ben... Mm. <laughs> well, we're not putting that in the episode. <laughs> Just a minor spoiler there. <laughs> uh, I believe this episode is called The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham. There you go. Yeah. Yes, that is it. All right. All right. Good job. All right. Good job, dude. Whew. Can we break Whew. the tie real quick? Oh, no, 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 we Come cannot. On. No, we're not on, doing it. No, we're not doing it. No, no. You, you misled me so thoroughly on that Shield episode. Mm, oh, I really got to really hand it to you. Anything, the most memorable part of that episode, I like, I would have had it. it right away. I could if not you do it. Suggested around that to any extent. All right, that's fair. That is fair. What do you What do you say? What kind of a What kind of a euphemism could you have used? There isn't oh, one. God. There isn't, there isn't one. one. No, 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 no. It's just all bad. That's all bad. It's real rough. Yeah. Any Any final thoughts? Just give me an X Files real quick. Oh Those my are so God! Easy. All right. <laughs> you just want to. You just want to. Uh, this is all about your ego at this point, isn't it? If you can stump me on an X Files, like we'll be. Oh, we'll okay. Be good, honestly. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I I feel real. 
feel real good about those. Oh, but I feel like right. you could stump me. I'll I'll feel like it was a really like a fair challenge, you know. All right. Fair play. Okay. Fair okay. Play, Here we go. Say. Yeah. All right. So um, in this season boon episode of the X Files. God damn it. <laughs> it focused. <laughs> Can't get away from season boon. Oh, no. So it is the second of a two-part story that began with episode six. There is a young actress who plays a character in a hospital setting. Let me see here. Who may be Scully's to... daughter? Um... I think she's also an alien clone, but I think the implication is she might be Scully's daughter. Do you know the name of the episode? I believe it's Emily. Oh, my God. He did it. Oh, he did it. Yes. yes, he did it. The All first right. part is a Christmas carol. It is. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. You got it. On to it, man. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> Two more episodes down, dude. Season five of the X Files is kind of uh, season boon. What am yeah. I say? Season boon of the X Files. Yeah. Definitely a step down from season okay. four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You felt them like really straining because they shot the movie in between. Season oh, that's four right. And season boon. Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah. That was insane to them. I can't believe they did that. They put out a feature film in, in between in the two time seasons. off between two 24 episode long seasons. Man, Ooh, that is n- there must have been Ooh. some cocaine involved. Oh, in that yes, decision. that is gnarly. Can't imagine. Two more episodes Ooh. down, so we'll be coming back. What next podcast with episodes? What 15 and 16? Yeah, I believe it's Homecoming and Outlaws. Okay, all right, yeah, that should be yeah. fun. Yeah, Outlaws, I remember being one of my favorites of this season. So I'm I'm looking forward to the show just starting to get that mojo back. Yeah. Man. You know, it feels like oh. it's been just on a stutter step. For That's a right. And you know, it's kind of interesting. I completely overlooked the fact that in the episode Hearts and Minds, during the Boone flashback, we see Sawyer in the police right. station having been arrested forgot yeah. about that it, it connection it was, there yeah that was one of the first times when you started to feel like oh okay they're starting to pull connections across characters that they hadn't done before so yeah i thought that was interesting they started to introduce yeah. that concept everyone's sort of being drawn together in this wheel of fate as mm-hmm. were. not as well drawn together as the characters on dark oh well yeah we all that that show (laughs) i mean they're very well drawn together oh yes literally no 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 no. don't do it don't do it i won't i won't oh boy it's wild though what a show love it so much dark combines the meta plot of lost with the flashback of the boon episode in some really intense ways that's all i'll say the best of both worlds right it is it is it's the best of both worlds all right well in conclusion thank you all so much for listening please remember to follow rate and review us on apple podcasts that really helps people find the show if you uh have an apple device we just so appreciate you taking a few minutes to do it you can go on instagram find us at goat season pod you can also email us questions at goat season pod at gmail.com i want to thank janice o'leary for our artwork josh sullivan for our intro music and battlequake for our outro and we will see you next week Peace. peace Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.